Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Khadim Bhatti, the co-founder and CEO of WhatFix, a digital adoption platform that helps businesses simplify training and support. In 2014, Khadim and his co-founder, Vara, launched a new SaaS business called WhatFix. In eight years, they've grown their company to multiple eight figures in ARR, hired over 600 employees, and they've raised $140 million in VC funding. It sounds like another great Silicon Valley startup story, but it isn't. Both these founders were based in India. Prior to founding WhatFix, they spent three years building another product that never really got traction. Both founders came from an engineering background So they ended up spending too much time trying to build a great product and not enough time talking to customers. During those three years, there were many times when they wanted to quit and go back to their corporate jobs, but they just kept going. At one point, they realized that there was one feature in their product that their customers seemed to be most interested in. In fact, it wasn't even a product feature, but a tool they'd built to help their customers learn how to use their product. So they decided to shut down the product they'd been working on for three years and instead focus on turning that tool into a new product. But this time, they took a very different approach. They spent most of their time talking to customers and validating their idea, and they didn't start building the product until they made their first sale. In this interview, Khadim shares his lessons on the mistakes they made in building their first product And we dig into how they took a very different approach the second time with WhatFix and how they've gone from zero to a company valued at about $600 million. So I hope you enjoy it. Khadim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Omar. Happy to. My pleasure. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires and motivates you that you can share with us? Yep. I like one of the quotes uh, from Jim Ron, a motivational speaker, that you are average of five people you spend time most with. So I think that indirectly actually helps me to keep looking for, for uh, to hang around with people, to hire people who actually bring a lot more value or who are more uh, capable than me and actually keep help, help me keep growing. And so tell us about what fix, what does the product do, who is it for, and what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Sure. So let me talk a little bit about the macro, right? As for Gartner, there's going to be around $600 billion worth of enterprise software getting sold a year. Uh, and if you look at enterprises which are buying them, it translates into having more than 900 uh, softwares inside an organization. Now further, if you deep dive, like on an average, each employee has access to 15, 20 software applications, which they have to use on a day-to-day basis to be more effective or productive, right? Now, if you look at employees again, or any individual, like in last uh, decade or so, everything has become on demand be it uh, buying, uh, doing some purchase or shopping on e-commerce like Amazon or movies like Netflix or Uber. When, you, when it comes to on, onboarding, it comes to learning or being more productive, we have still been asked to go and look at the documentation or look at uh, support or raise a support ticket so we can get stuck. So that's the problem we are trying to solve. Like, can we create a layer of experience or adoption where we can make an employee more effective and productive by helping them utilize the power of underlying technologies. And for the enterprises which are spending hundreds of millions of dollars every year, can they get extract more ROI out of them? Or can, can get, they get uh, 
of uh, better ROI in terms of digital transformation. What they have. In a layman term, if I have to explain, Watfix is nothing but a GPS layer on top of uh, underlying systems, which will help employees or any individuals to complete their task by providing them step-by-step in-context navigations, uh, tips, or, and actually empower them uh, to learn in the flow of work. Basically, this this category of digital adoption platforms, which I, I wasn't familiar with, the, what that actually meant. So, thank you for the context. That really is helpful to understand what problem or your challenge you're trying to help organizations with. Can you give us a sense of the size of of the business today in terms of revenue, employees, customers? Yeah, we we have more than six hundred employees globally. We started from India, Bangalore. We have an office here, and we expanded, having a couple of offices in the US, primarily in Bay Area and Atlanta. So I have a co-founder colleague, Varakumar, sitting out of Bay Area, along with several of my leaders in product marketing, design, sales, and so on. And then there is a product engineering, other leaders sitting in India, and I keep shuffling around. Apart from that, we have an office in uh, UK, uh, Germany, Australia. So we spread across. In terms of uh, market and customers, we have close to 600 customers, which counts of uh, all key players across industry. We are ignored. We are we, uh, we cater across uh, industry segments. We are agnostic. 100 plus of the top 1,000 companies are our customer. We use Watpix on several applications like CRM, HCM, ERP, and so on. So typically, they start with one, uh, and then they start. In terms of market size and all, like, digital adoption category is pretty huge. Uh, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, like every large enterprise has 900 plus software applications, which translates into each enterprise to be potential of a few million dollars to us and overall uh, market size of 20 billion plus. What are you doing in terms of revenue? We, we don't disclose the exact number, but we are in uh, several multiples of eight, eight figures in million dollars. Okay, great. And you recently raised, well, you've raised a total of about $140 million to date. And earlier in two, two thousand. 2021, you raised a Series D round for about $90 million, right? That's right. Uh, SoftBank Vision Fund 2 uh, led our last uh, funding round. Prior to that, we had a Sequoia, invest, a Sequoia uh, Capital uh, uh, leading our Series C round of $32 million. And we, uh, apart from Sequoia and SoftBank, we have Dragoneer, Cisco Investments, Eight Roads, F-Prime, and a few other Indian investors like Helion, Stellaris on board as well. Great. So let's tell the story of how you and and Vara built this business. It was founded in 2013, but I think the story starts in 2010 when you launched a different business called Search Enabler. So tell us just briefly what that business was and how you came up with the idea for that. Yep, sure. So me and Vara have been working together now for 19 years. So prior to this, this, uh, starting up, actually, we were building a business intelligence product line for Huawei Telecom. we came out and we started this company. And as you mentioned, we were we started building a new product, a product called Search Enabler. So the idea there was globally, small businesses were actually coming online rapidly. Uh, they and they wanted to leverage the social media and search uh, for uh, for increasing their online presence and online business. We thought we'll try to cater to this particular need by helping the small businesses on how they can leverage uh, this uh, their online presence better. So we created the search enabler platform, which would crawl the web, crawl the competition of these uh, businesses, give them a lot of recommendations in terms of how they can uh, have a better presence on search, how can have their better presence on social media. We got several customers, or in fact, like a little over 100 customers. Again, it was global. Uh, we were not specific to region. It was global, but, but focused on small businesses only. Uh, the hypothesis went wrong here uh, a little bit. Like we, Since it was a small business, the product had to be do-it-yourself. Because the price points were $30, $40, $50 a month. 
and the customers which we were catering to uh, the owners of the small businesses they were not very they wanted a lot more hand holding uh, on the recommendations what we were providing and if we wrapped up with services we would not have scaled our uh, search enable solution at that point so we wanted to solve that uh, self service capability problem of uh, or make our solution through diy and while trying to figure out different ways of helping customers we tried creating some plugins we tried creating some a uh, lot of tutorials videos and so on uh, but the one which resonated well with them was giving them step by step guidance inside their uh, platform where they build their websites you know, like uh, wordpress magento or joomla and that became what today is whatfix so if i were to give you some small again detail when we used to give a recommendation there used to be a button along with them along alongside called fix it and when they used to click on the fix it button it would open their uh, dashboard or a console and show them exactly what problems uh, how they can fix those uh, recommendations and even the name we derived from there from fix it to what fix got it okay so you worked on this product for about 3 years and you got some early traction but what was it that made you realize that you needed to pivot yeah so i think it was unit economics the customers mostly were small businesses as i mentioned the price points we were looking at around 30 to 50 dollars a month that's and the customers were expecting a lot more hand holding so we had it was not like a do it yourself it was like the expectations were do it from me now if i have to start helping them to implement those recommendations uh, for them to see their results i would have had to wrap services around that and uh, even though if i would have asked them to pay for few hundred dollars for that it would not have been it would have been really hard to scale and make it economically viable and also the folks which were actually resonating well and actually making use on a diy basis were the, the experts of social media or seos uh, professionals and all and we didn't build with the platform was not intended for them actually so either we had to pivot to go for that particular persona which i which we thought the market is not that big or we or or for the persona which we had built it was not unit economically viable uh, the cac and the gross margin would have been uh, uh, very difficult for us to navigate and build a large company out of that okay got it so th- this you you've got some traction but it doesn't look like this is going to be a, a a big or interesting opportunity and the economics of this are questionable and then you you talked about this fix fix it component that you were using to help those customers tell me about how did that one piece become the the effectively the product that you were then going to go and build yep so very, very interesting actually when we experimented with that fix it button and we implemented several flows uh, which were like kind of uh, we coded or we hard or we built ourselves like how do i uh, fix a broken link for example on a wordpress or if i how do i add a meta tag or meta description in my magento or wordpress so it would be open the those applications press or magento and start showing the step by step guidance in terms of fixing those when we actually launched this as a tutorial or as a helping our customers to fix those recommendations some of them came back to us saying that can we use this capability for my customers because i am facing my uh, some hand holding problems where my customers keep saying, uh, raising a lot of support tickets or keep asking a lot of queries they're not able to use some of my features and this looks interesting can i use it for that so that actually started made us thinking like okay, we initially built it to make sure our prop platform becomes a diy but actually we ended up creating a some kind of early concept which uh, could be disruptive which could actually solve a larger problem uh, which uh, customers are uh, uh, which a lot of uh, companies face in terms of hand holding their users uh, 
making the support more interactive or better or simplifying the onboarding and increasing the adoption of their own solutions. So we debated for like three to four days because uh, we learned at least we don't want to uh, ride into two boats. We don't want to have two products because we were only two people company at that point. Uh, we were very clear that we have to either continue with search enabler or we have to shut down and uh, pursue another one, which was again a hard decision because we had already spent three years in search enabler. But then finally, after a long debate, we decided, okay, this looks disruptive. This can really become big. And we formed all of our existing customers of search enabler. We uh, did shut down and we started focusing on what fix. Uh, and since initial traction or initial feedback came from small businesses, and that's how we started actually focusing on what fix for small businesses. Now, it, it took you three years to get to that point. In hindsight, do you think you could have got there faster? For sure. I think we should have done this in a year, but there were several mistakes we did. Coming from a large enterprise, being me and Vara both being engineers, we were always on building solutions. We were never, uh, we never had a great opportunity to face customers uh, during our uh, initial jobs. So we had a myth that uh, solution has to be complete, solution has to be full-fledged uh, before we launch it to the market. So when we launched Search Enabler, it was already 14, 15 months of uh, coding, actually, or adding features. We did, actually. That was a big mistake. We should have actually validated the problem statement with the customers first with a mock-up. We could have just built a few features or a quick MVP in a couple of months or three, four months at max, and then gone to market. Uh, when we went to market after 14, 15 months, we had built like a large, so many features. Some of the features, what we realized that customers were not even using them. And they were not even getting onboarded correctly. So we started cutting down features so that we ensure that customers use our product properly. And when we saw the results, like customers were using our system, uh, we had by then thrown 40% of the features. So imagine the amount of effort went into building those, uh, validating those, and throwing them again. So actually, we literally, we would have wasted one and a half, two years. Oh, yeah. And it's a difficult thing because on the one hand, rationally, we all know that the less time you spend coding and building the product and talking to customers and and getting the idea validated is probably the right thing to do. But there's just something about, I don't know what it is about, maybe it's just a product or an engineering kind of mindset that if we build this product and we just get it really polished, people are going to love it. I, I, I don't know where that comes from, but it's, you're certainly not the first ones to have gone through that. Okay, so one of the things about this fix it button that I want to understand is that it sounds a little bit like what we see today with onboarding products, where they're basically integrated into a product and sort of help and guide you through using a SaaS product. But I know this is a little bit different. So can, can you just help us understand the distinction? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think this whole onboarding uh, momentum started in the last three, four years, and there are several different ways companies try. But now for the specific use case, like for a, take an example of an employee who is trying to use a CRM or an ERP or a CLM or CPQ, some kind of an enterprise software. Now, there are multiple stages in the lifecycle of a user when they interact with an application. Initially, when they are new, uh, either application is new or employee is new or a user is new. They want to understand first few features which will get them started. Right? So now here, the number one, the first widget which Watfix helps you is actually onboarding with a task or a set of introductory features like, let me handhold you and show you around. Right? I'm just going to introduce them. So that's how that's the number one thing uh, which Watfix does, which a few of the other onboarding uh, tools that you mentioned uh, also do that. Once you once once the person gets accustomed to the application and they start working on the software, they might need 
reactive-based support. Uh, now, the traditional support is documentation or tickets and all, or the help knowledge base. And all those knowledge base are like verbose articles which they have to read and then perform. So instead, WhatFix again has an help embedded inside the software, which the user clicks and as and when they need. WhatFix will show them contextually based on the role of the person. If Omar is a sales manager, and if you're working on, a, let's say, on a sales cloud in a CRM, I would show you, or in an opportunity tab, for example, I would show you your most relevant help or most relevant content for what you're looking as a manager in opportunity tab. And once you click that particular content or a help, WhatFix will not show you an article. It will start telling you exactly what you're supposed to do. So if I, you want to remove or duplicate opportunity, WhatFix will tell you how to navigate there and delete that. So that's the number two for reactive the third one, when you start filling up the forms, for example, because most of the applications are system of records and you have to fill up a lot of information. WhatFix helps in terms of helping you automate a lot of stuff and also ensuring that you fill up the correct information. So we call it smart tips or which can be overlaid on top. So for example, if Omar is a sales rep working in New York for a specific product line, so I can, and when you create a new opportunity, WhatFix can actually fill up a lot of information automatically. Okay, your region is New York. You typically sell product X. Your dollar value will be always in USD and so on. So it just helps you to become more productive. And when you start filling up the information, WhatFix will keep giving you a nudge. What is the typical information is expected here? Fourth, process compliances and new feature rollouts. Like continuously enterprises roll out new features. Uh, software vendors keep upgrading their softwares. So you're a very professional user, you have logged into the system, but now WhatFix will actually start nudging you saying, okay, a new dashboard has been rolled out, let me help you setting up those, or these are the new release notes where four new features have been rolled out, I can help you with those. Uh, finally, if you're, let's say, a call center employee or a sales or any employee, which you do some of the tasks very uh, frequently, you can actually use same WhatFix flows in an automated mode. So WhatFix will execute, let's say, first six or seven steps quickly, get you to the form, and you can actually and, and nudge you there wherever some information is needed from you. So you can even use WhatFix in an automated way. So throughout the cycle, right from onboarding to ensuring that you are you get the help what you need in an interactive way, uh, to making you more productive with automation, data validation, WhatFix completes the whole life cycle. Okay. Now so you've gone through the three years with Search Enabler. You even you and Vara make the decision that you're going to shut that business down and you're going to focus on this fix-it button and turn that into a product. Did you basically start with zero customers again? Yes, that's right. We started with zero customers, but with better learning from our previous initiative. Okay. And so t- tell me about what you did next. So you've had the experience of three years of some of the things not to do. So how did you guys approach it differently this time with WhatFix in terms of finding those first customers and, and getting feedback? Yeah, so the first protocol between our first learning we had was like, uh, let's not build anything until we validate from the customers, potential customers. So we already had some uh, basic features, fix it, implemented. So we brainstorm on what should be, what should it, it should look like when we pitch to customers. So we created based on that landing pages with some messages. We again did uh, two or three uh, landing pages based on persona we want to target, like product managers of a SaaS company or something, and listed some features uh, or some benefits or value value props. Vara actually started identifying email IDs and some use cases which we should pitch. I used to actually compose a personalized email 
and start sending them. In a month, actually, we did uh, 500 primarily to uh, small businesses, SaaS companies and all. Taking really relevant examples from their support pages, how it can become more interactive, how it can help. I we Actually, I created some samples for each one of them and actually sent them. Uh, we used to do almost like 20, 25 a day. We used to get one or two responses. In first three months, we got four to five commitments. In fact, the first commitment, if I have to say, we had the one hospital management system. They really liked the product and they said, okay, we would like to sign up for this. But we didn't have a full, we didn't have a working solution yet. Actually, it was a lot more prototype or some of the features what we had built for Search Enabler. We told them, okay, we are actually uh, working on, we are doing in a QA, we are, it's in the testing phase. It will take us three weeks to deliver. We asked them to sign. We brainstormed with them. Uh, we pitched some pricing price points. They committed, we signed the agreement, and actually we started building after that. Very different to what you did the first time around. Yes. In fact, uh, Wattfix, we were always running behind. Uh, Search Enabler, we were ahead in engineering, but here we were running behind uh, based on customer request. And again, uh, here actually we started building with the first or first one or two commitments. But in now actually, or at that point, we had another protocol between us like, we will not implement any features unless four or five customers ask. And, and do you remember how much you charged that first customer? <laughs> so... Again, that's interesting. So whenever we were used to give, we used to get a, a potential yes from our outbound, uh, saying, okay, we want to like to see the product. We would like to uh, talk to you guys. This sounds interesting. We used to validate different price points. Like we actually validated from $10 a month to $1,000 a month. We tried to validate and bounce different uh, numbers and see the reaction on their face. So actually we used to run, wherever there was a possibility, we used to run and meet them in person. We just wanted to see how they react. We thought, okay, the sweet spot would be around $100 a month. And that's how we started. And the first customer was around $1,000 ARR. Another thing was we thought, okay, let's charge them annual offer. And, and the reason for being so broad with your pricing, was it because this was a, a new category and, and there wasn't a bunch of established players that you could look at to get a baseline of what was going on? That, that's right, actually, because we were still figuring out the value prop. We were still working on uh, identifying... Uh, the right persona, the segment, what would be the ROI for them, what would be their budget. So I think it was all unknown. And we wanted to, by validating, by throwing different numbers and and so on. Actually, today it's a quite different. I mean, we look back, we started at around approximately $1,000 ARR. Today we have like average, we landed at $60,000, $70,000 ARR. So 60x, 60 folds, we have grown. Yeah. There are companies which are paying us like uh, a quarter million, half a million, million dollars plus in terms of uh, ARR. And it's all upfront? Yes. I, so again, that's a, a good learning. So when we got our first few sales guys, uh, many of them came from a background that they were used because we, we hired them from a small uh, other startups or SMEs and all. So many of them were comfortable asking for a quarterly price or monthly price and all. So we had to put a spiff. So for them to actually start pitching annuals and later on, once annual became table stake, we started giving them spiff for multi-years. So today, 95% are annual and five, uh, actually 90% are annual and 10% have already started moving to multi-years now. And in terms of getting the first 10 customers, was it all outbound? Is that what you were doing just to find those first 10 customers? Yeah, so for, uh, first 10 customers a year, right, actually, out of that, uh, seven to eight would be out, outbound. Uh, a couple of them started coming in some Google ad. Eight of them were in India. First, Out of first 10, I remember eight were in India because we, as I was mentioning, we used to do outbound within our within the region so that we can go and meet them in person and see the reaction. Some came inbound and from Google ads, ninth and 10 customer, I say, would be one from a library from France and one uh, company in Boston. Had you raised any money or was this all bootstrapped at this point? This was bootstrapped. 
I know one of the things that we talked about before we started recording was figuring out your your target market. And you, you'd mentioned that you felt you spent a lot of time going very horizontal, too horizontal. And it took you longer than it should have to figure out how to segment and, and define your target market. So t- tell us a little bit about what was initially going on when you were going horizontal and the, some of the challenges that, that you were facing there. Yeah, so uh, when we initially created the uh, pitch for the uh, Wattfix product, we wanted to, the pitch was like, I can help you reduce your support ticket. I can make your users on board much faster. So this can actually, or or, or in a short, wherever there's a need for handholding, Wattfix can actually work. Now, there are several use cases here. I can actually target product owners of a B2B and B2C companies. B2C companies like banks or consumer companies can use to onboard their customers. Uh, These are consumers primarily. Or B2B product managers can actually onboard their SaaS customers or enterprise customers. So again, two different use cases, a consumer as well as B2B. Now, there are other use cases where I can go to enterprise. I can go to uh, sales enablement and say, okay, I can help you or sales operation. I can help you onboard your reps on Salesforce. I can go to IT and talk to them about other applications. I can go and talk to HRIS or HRIT for workdays or factors. Or there are hundreds of custom application uh, inside. So third-party applications or... So there are several use cases, several uh, uh, different personas involved. So the messaging was very horizontal. Again, there was a small businesses, mid-market and enterprise. So we didn't even distinguish very clearly where actually we want to sell because there was everything seemed to be very wide open there. So we thought, okay, let's let's keep trying. So after after a few, after a couple of quarters, three, three, around three to four quarters, we realized uh, we got around 20, 25 customers. A majority of them were small businesses. We realized that small businesses, this was they were not more focused on their own growth. They wanted something which can help them accelerate their GTM, and helping on support or onboarding actually it was secondary to them. So Wattfix came out to be like nice to have. Now actually industry is very matured and even small businesses are rapidly adopting. But at that point, it came out to be nice to have. I'm talking about six, six and a half years back. And so we decided, okay, let's go a little uh, up market, mid market and enterprise. Again, their use cases were so varied that our messaging was uh, was taking a while to resonate. Uh, also GTM broad. So we thought, okay, like, let's not, why don't we narrow down some use cases? So initially we narrowed down, okay, let's go to enterprise employee use case. Within that, instead of going across several applications, why not just go behind CRM or SCM? Just we figured out two. Uh, because every company would have a CRM or HR application. So primarily CRM would be, let's say, Salesforce or Dynamic. HR, HR application would be either Workday, Success Factors, or Oracle. So then we did, we narrowed down the pitch uh, very, very, very clear for this particular application and try to land in them. It, uh, you can say the whole journey was like hourglass analogy I can give, where you start very broad with uh, different use cases, different personas, different market, different segment. But as you start iterating, you start narrowing down and then you reach that strip where your sand flows really fast. I think that's where your product market fit is. And where did you land? Who did you identify as your sweet spot? So we used to get customers in multiple places, but to ensure that our GTM is very clear, we we said, okay, we'll go with the companies which are 1,000 plus employees. When company has at least 1,000 employees, they would have a sales uh, marketing department of at least a couple of hundred. And 200 seats would be good enough to show a decent ROI on a CRM. 
So we we took that assumption and went behind those uh, that size those size thousand five thousand employee company and uh, go behind the CRM department uh, departments which were responsible for CRM like uh, going behind the sales operations sales enablement or sometimes even reaching out to VP sales if they are facing the problem of adoption of their uh, CRM stack. So that started resonating well. So when we did this, we the Google Ads became very clear where we need to target. The content became very clear what we should write. The events like where do we participate, for example, Dreamforce. Uh, from Salesforce, so everything became very clear, and the and and the, and the motion started uh, accelerating. How long did it take before you raised money? Yeah, it took me around around fourteen, fifteen months to raise our seed round of a million dollar from uh, Helion Ventures. And then your first employee. When did you hire that person? Yeah, so as soon as we signed the term sheet, we by the time I think we had around fourteen, fifteen customers. Maybe you can say around fifteen, twenty thousand dollars ARR. We as soon as we signed the term sheet, we hired the first first employee. Again, here because we both came from engineering background, we were very sure that as long as we know the expectations of a customer, we can build anything. But we need some more support on go to market. So our first hire was sales. Our second hire was sales. Third hire was marketing. Fourth hire was an engineer. And then you started investing more in inbound marketing. So what kind of things were you doing? Is it mostly just putting content out there? How were how you, what did, what did that content strategy look like that helps you reach that target market that you'd identified? Yeah, so very early stage, uh, uh, first eight to 10 customers, we did that outbound strategy as we discussed. And then post that, we wanted to scale. Uh, when we got our uh, marketer also on board, we thought, okay, let's target, continue targeting that small business uh, uh, segment and uh, SaaS was one of the areas, SaaS startups or SaaS companies we were looking at. So we started writing a lot of content on SaaS onboarding. Also, how do we engage the customers? Started doing some Google ads on those keywords around that. So that started giving us around few few opportunities, a few leads a day, and we started converting a couple of them a week. So we started building some kind of a predictable channel there. But as I mentioned, after three quarters, four quarters, we realized there was a higher churn in that particular category, and it was nice to have for them. And then gradually, we had to go up. Um, you also used events as as a way to to acquire customers. How, how effective was that? Yeah, so initially, actually, in the first time when we attended an event, it was not very effective in terms of customer acquisition. In fact, when we went to our first event, it was a Dreamforce, uh, and we were around uh, five people company at that point. So we were actually debating how much we should invest in, in getting the booth and all. But anyway, nevertheless, we went there. The most uh, the takeaway for us was like in three days, which we spent at the event, we were able to bounce WhatFix as a concept or as a value prop to almost like 300 visitors or contacts uh, who came to us. Uh, they were from different industries, some as from window cleaning industries to pharma to uh, tech companies to uh, oil and gas across the sector. And we were able to, the, the way we started the first day and we ended the third day, our pitch has com- had completely changed. Like we continuously iterated those three days on our pitch value prop, how we should communicate to that particular, the, the people who we are meeting. We tried those 300 contacts after that. We could only convert two customers. It was so it was not a great outcome, but it was a really definitely great outcome to validate our pitch and iterate very, very quickly during that three days period. So that was the first experience. And then what did you do differently? So so I think uh, after a few events, I think the whole model changed how we approached the events. So it was not only for getting new contacts or new leads. Uh, events also started, we started looking at getting our existing 
potential customer which are in the funnel to engage them because many of them we couldn't meet in person or they didn't want to meet they were in different cities we used to actually check with them if they are visiting uh, this particular event and ask them to come at our booth and talk to our head of sales or meet me or someone so many of the customers which were potential customers which were in the funnel we used to try to engage them at the event many and some of the customers which we already had and had a good uh, rapport or good champions we asked we used to ask them to come to a booth we used to pitch to discuss on new features our roadmap and many of those customers we used to talk to them for half an hour for an hour we used to engage them and then the new potential customer in the funnel used to come there we used to say okay by the way meet this particular uh, person who has been using whatfix for like few quarters they've been seeing so results so that started helping us a lot moving the customers which are already in the funnel or the potential customers which are already in the funnel to move them fast to the closure build that so that give that face to that engagement also apart from that of course the lead generation which was happening that also became much better because there was some customer presence there were more stories to uh, say better pitch over over period of time we became much better and started engage started converting in fact after one or two event a few couple of event couple of years actually we, in the events we started doing panel discussions we started doing customer case uh, stories these um, some small event we did some parties around that so it changed a lot and now i think the roi is uh, phenomenal for us so you know talking to you now you obviously sound very comfortable talking about sales but I, I know that you mentioned that both of you came from an engineering background. What were some of the, the the challenges that you faced in the early days? You'd start to hire salespeople, but did that take away your sales problems? So the uh, good and uh, good thing actually for us was uh, since we didn't know sales, we didn't uh, hire a very tenured person. At least we had some understanding, uh, saying we should hire somebody who can hustle, who can roll up the sleeves, who can learn along with us. So we were looking for somebody who is like three to four years basic sales DNA, but of course doesn't come with a lot of muscle memory and would like to try to replicate something. That worked actually. Uh, the first salesperson which we hired actually he's still with us. It's been seven years. Yesterday he finished his seventh, and, he, and nice. he's he's a senior director of sales for us, uh, managing the globe. Uh, new logo acquisitions uh, so he's he's done phenomenal so he was a hustler uh, who used to initially first few sales i continued to do actually and he used to shadow me learn along and after that he procured his name so he started doing his uh, sales and i used to shadow him so it was a lot more like pairing and learning together uh, rather than getting a sales guy and saying okay now it's your problem yeah i think that's that's so key that many founders think that hiring a salesperson is going to take those problems away. But if you haven't figured out how to sell your product yourself, you're kind of expecting a lot for somebody to come in and figure all that stuff out, especially as a first hire. When we hire a salesperson, actually, it's very important to know that whether we have achieved PMF or not. So we still were not at product market fit. We did have uh, 10, 12 customers. As we were still iterating with the price points. We were still iterating with our, store, uh, our value prop. We were still iterating with our pitch, our uh, wow factors within the demos and all. So it was very important to actually keep working very closely rather than just delegate. So at what point did you feel that you'd got product market fit? When did that happen? So I think that product market fit, Fit is, I think, a moving uh, target with every uh, stage. I think the expectation changes. The, maybe at that point, getting few hundred dollar customers would have been 10, 20 customers. We think there's a product market fit which can get us a yeah. million. 
right but today like uh, getting a 10k or 5k customers not going to move a needle we need a customers who can pay us quarter million half a million billion dollar arr so the expectation and the persona changes at that point selling to a operations director who can give us 10000 dollars what a product market fit but today i think we need to navigate to a vp of employee experience or cio and the messaging for them is completely different so are we there so there's a different question mark completed the product market fit at this stage so i i i would say it's a it's a moving target at a different scale or different stage of the company but then i think once we got that 2025 customers which were paying us 1000 2000 a year the pitch uh, was repeatable the sales guys uh, the things become predictable that okay i have 10 customers potential customers in our funnel i know i'm going to close two of them with this particular pitch the personas are repeating the stories repeating the use cases repeating i think that's where i thought uh, i i think we have achieved a product market fit and uh, or even uh, to a certain extent go to market fit and when did you hit your first million in arr uh the first million took us actually two two and a half or two around two years i think it took us around two years to get to first million because we were looking at small businesses category was new so there was not tons of out inbound inbound was slow so we had to start looking at events and other mechanism as i was mentioning so the first million took a while after getting the first million i think our trajectory was good from 1 2 3 3 2 uh, 8 and i think that was like uh, top day and then first 10 million at what point did that happen i think 1 to 10 i think we would have reached again in uh, nine quarters yeah so that was fast because that's where i think the real go to market fit and product market fit was there uh, we we had by the time started uh, resonating with enterprises larger deals larger tickets and that helped our sales and everything was scaled so it's it's a really interesting story that you, you guys started out in, in not in an unusual situation of building a product and then realizing that you know, maybe it wasn't the right thing to pursue and and then pivoting into an opportunity which effectively emerged from you know helping customers with another problem right and it was just it was market feedback that helped you identify that that new opportunity and then over the last 7 years you, you've taken that idea and built that into a a sizable business with hundreds of employees hundreds of customers raised a ton of money i i think in terms of the series d valuation i i know you didn't talk about specifics but you just sort of said that in the it was in the ballpark of about a 600 million valuation right yep that that's right yeah so i guess what fixes another uh, unicorn of tomorrow right? <laughs> it's a, it's a great story and then obviously the last 7 years you've really you know grown this business when you sort of look back what's been one of the hardest things about this journey for you guys yeah i think the hard, hardest part, i think for us was like being coming from a large enterprise in our career as uh, as an engineers actually we had not seen the go, go to market motion before so i think discovering that actually we did spend three at least three three and a half years extra that was really tough and when you bootstrap for three years uh, you tend to run out of cash you have family problems uh, family pressure in terms of finances and so on so we both founders went through that it was there were several moments where we thought should we shut down should we go back to jobs so those were really hard times that initial 3 to 4 years what what kept you going what was it about the idea that pushed you to keep going another day and another day instead of going back to the i guess the comfort of a, a corporate job yeah i i think more than idea i think it was i think co-founder so if i was alone maybe i would have but having a co-founder looking at him like he's putting 100% of his effort i think i should actually i should not demotivate him i should support him because maybe there's a success just at the horizon 
And when I actually, when we got to the first million, I did ask him actually what made him going. He exactly put it the same thing. Like you were working and I didn't want to disappoint you. Even I had lost hope in between sometimes, but then I saw you've been putting, trying to put an effort, trying different ways. I thought, okay, let's give it a chance for another couple of quarters. Let's give it a chance. So I think having a like-minded co-founder who is actually working with you throughout the journey, I think that helped. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a really difficult journey to take on your own. It's also a really difficult journey to take with the wrong founder. But it sounds like you guys have been pretty lucky. And, and you've been working, I think you, you said, for almost two decades together, right? That's right. That's right. So we actually almost like from campus, we joined our initial first job. For me, it was a second job. I was like one and a half years experience. And then Vara joined the company. And almost like from there, like the last two decades, we've been working together. And good thing is we complemented each other very well. Yeah, that's so super important. All right, uh, we should uh, we should wrap up. So let's get on to the lightning round. Uh, I've got seven quick fire questions for you. Yep, sure. Let's go. Okay, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? One of my early advisor, uh, uh, investor, who is also on our board, Alok Goyal. So when we used to do initial hiring, he, he used to say that think company as a magnet. As it grows, the power of magnet to attract would increase or compound. So don't get too excited with initial talent and don't over-designate them. Over a period of time, you will be able to attract much better talent who will be able to take you from, let's say, 10 to 100 or 100 to 500 and so on. So I think that really helped us in terms of not over-designating people or not getting too excited, and uh, which I've seen a lot of founders do that mistake. And that Alok's advice was really, really helpful. And I still keep giving the same thing to many other startups. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Two books. Uh, Stay Hungry, Stay Foolish. It was, it's written by Rashmi Bansal. Uh, it, it's a book uh, primarily you get in India, Amazon and all. It helped me to realize that even somebody from ordinary background can build something which is everlasting. But that actually made me, that was a book actually made me quit my job. And, and the second one is uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Thing by Ben Horowitz, actually. So ups and downs, the resilience really resonates uh, very well with the journey. Two great recommendations. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? At least for my journey, I would say, because I think it, sometimes the success takes time. If you keep on iterating, if you keep on improvising, I think success would be at the horizon. So apart from risk-taking, perseverance is very, very crucial. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I, I actually, last two years, I've been using, uh, because I have so many meetings, actually, and it's very, I have to jump different, uh, at every meeting, I need to have some context. and also. So I use Keep to keep my, just before the meeting, I use, I go through the notes. So if I have a one-on-one with someone, I go through the notes for three to four minutes. It brings up to the speed for last three or four conversations. And uh, that's helped me a lot in terms of make, uh, being more productive. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I, I think zero to one is a really hard journey, right? I've gone through that. So I think it's, I feel building from 10 to 100 to a billion would be more easier. So I stopped thinking of more ideas and want to continue and focus on building Botfix. So we do have a lot of ideas and a lot of stuff which we can build on top of Botfix. So that's what occupies most of online share. Yeah, and we didn't get a chance to, to talk about that, but there's a lot of that happening inside your company anyway. A lot of these new kind of that's uh, right. businesses emerging inside there. Maybe a conversation for another time. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know and they get surprised when I tell them off late. So uh, it's been like uh, 18, 20 years in my professional journey. I learned car driving just a couple of months back. I bought my first really? car. Really? I just bought my first car around six weeks back. That too because my family now said, okay, we can't do without it. You should. 
uh, so used to Uber and Ola's in India and all. Yeah, but so a lot of people don't know that. And, and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? I love to help entrepreneurs, as I was mentioning earlier. Like I've been also an angel investor. I've invested in 21 plus companies. So like to talking to them, it, it energizes me. Plus keeps me updated uh, what's happening around. I spend almost like uh, every weekend, Saturday, Sunday, at least I meet two or three uh, founders. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. If uh, people want to find out more about WhatFix, they can go to whatfix.com. And if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can connect me uh, at LinkedIn, Khadim Bhatti, or they can reach out to me, Khadim, at my first name at whatfix.com, K-H-A-D-I-M at whatfix.com. Awesome. Khadim, thank you so much for, for joining me. I know it's pretty late for you there. So appreciate you staying up to, to have this conversation. And thank you for taking us through the story and, and some of the lessons and the hard times that, that you uh, went through. And I know that's going to be uh, very it's an inspirational story and I think there's a lots, of, lots of great ideas I think that you shared today that could help a lot of people out there who are maybe in, in the earliest stages or maybe are building their own search enabler and, and figuring out how they need to pivot and maybe listening to your story might help them to find that, that idea that they need to move on to. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you making the time to do this and uh, I wish you and, and the team the best of success. Thanks. Thanks, Omar. It was great, great uh, talking to you and going through the journey. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Cheers.